The following podcast is a Dear Media production. She's a lifestyle blogger extraordinaire. Fantastic. And he's a serial entrepreneur. A very smart cookie. And now Lauren Everts and Michael Bostick are bringing you along for the ride. Get ready for some major realness. Welcome to the Skinny Confidential, him and her. Aha! Once I had that knowledge, at least that I was making conscious choices. Everything I talk about is about choices. And the fact that one of the biggest lies society will tell you, a narcissist will tell you, that friend who's a hater is going to tell you, the internet will tell you, is that you lack choices. And if you take that empowerment back and you're able to say to yourself, no, in this moment, I know I have choices. Even choosing to not do something is a choice you will always have. You know someone is good on the mic when we have them on the podcast twice. And Nicole Walters does not disappoint. This is her second time on the Him and Her show. You are going to get so many tangible takeaways that you can apply to your own life in this episode. You won't even know what to do. We talk about all the things. How to tell when your body is overstressed. The importance behind asking for help. Entertaining the idea of divorce. How to rebuild. Having a narcissistic parent. How to set boundaries how divorce actually ended up helping her family, where resilience is born, and how to be 10 times better while taking charge of your life. Nicole Walters is a former top-selling corporate executive who quit her six-figure sales job in front of 10,000 people. (laughs) Then she took what she knew, and she built a million-dollar business in one short year. She is one of the most entrepreneurial people that I have ever had the pleasure of interviewing She has so much strength and warmth. She is someone who values family, but also has a beautiful balance with her business. And she just launched her new book, Nothing is Missing, a memoir of living boldly. She gives us all the details on how to show up for yourself daily. Nicole Walters also has a podcast, which is a part of the Dear Media Network. On that note, let's welcome Nicole to the Him and Her Show. This is the Skinny Confidential, Him and Her. Nicole Walters is in studio. Thank God, because I get to sit back. I told her, eat some popcorn, relax, and enjoy the show. She is back. Kind of talked with you about this off air. Mm -hmm. What happened when you walked out of the studio last time leaving this podcast? Because we did a part one. I'm going to try not to tear up now, but I walked out of here, exited the building, and by the time I made it to Third Street, I burst into tears. But why? Because I sat down and for the first time I realized that I told the truth and that I need to tell the truth everywhere. And that included in my book. But that was the first time you fully told the story here or, you, or just publicly? So I told the story in lots of places before, but one, not on a platform like this. There's something to be said for knowing that, you know, millions are going to hear your story. But we came here and I don't know if you guys remember, like we didn't really talk about what I would used to be talking about. We didn't talk about business. You know, it wasn't just like strategy and systems and all that. We talked about real things like you always do. I do remember that. And mm-hmm. I remember because we like started kind of talking a little bit, but then we just like got into what, who and what and everything that you are. Yep. And it like kind of, I, I remember being like, that was an emotional episode. Yeah. Like kind of like it burst open. Yeah. yeah. And that was why I was like, 
oh my gosh, I'm writing this book. Because at that point, I mean, we didn't go into it then, but I'd gotten a book deal. I was in talks for that. So I'd started this proposal and it was a business book. You know, I started writing it and I was here in California. But the truth was behind the scenes, I was going through a divorce and I had to figure out how to relocate my kids. And I was completely on the outs with my ex of 12 years and my body was breaking down and I was sick. I mean, I, I told Lauren a little earlier that right before I came in to do the podcast, I was doing facial exercises because my face had been paralyzed at that point for about three months. So oh. if people saw me before 11 o'clock, half my my smile was actually sagging. So I literally was like nervous coming on because I was like, I don't even know if I'll look right. And so the fact that I made it through, it was kind of that cry of relief, I think, at the end of it, but then also a cry of knowingness because I was like, I can't keep doing this. I have to do it differently. We talked off air again about this, but I would love mm -hmm. for you to talk with the audience. Louise Hay, who we both love, always yeah. says that when you are experiencing an ailment, especially like the one that you just talked about, facial paralysis, your system's trying to tell you something. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It, it, to me, it's telling, it was telling you to slow down. Yes. And, and have yes. clarity. How do, do you think that, that you almost man manifested that? Oh, beyond manifested it. I think that a lot of us forget that We'll say that all the time stress kills, right? But before stress kills, it breaks you down. You know, it starts showing itself. So you don't need to wait until you stop moving before you change your life. You know, your body's already telling you when you are getting headaches or trouble sleeping or that you are irritable or that you're breaking out in acne and you never used to have acne. Like these are all signs that you need to change now. You don't want to wait until you're dead to be like, oh, you know, like this could have killed me. My blood pressure was 173 over 153 in stroke range. I was dealing with facial paralysis. I had psoriasis that I'd never had before. Um, I experienced a case of shingles. I mean, all of these things were happening to my body. I had cystic acne, things that I'd never dealt with my entire life, including weight gain. I just didn't have an, a reason for it. My doctor looked at me and said, you're not going to make it to 60. Like the rate that you're going is crazy. I'm not going to give you meds because you're doing this to yourself. You need to change your life. I think this is really important to talk about because last time on the podcast, to me, you seem like you have it all. That's part of the problem, right? Right. You're <laughs> so accomplished and you're so, you're such a beautiful presence when you walk Thanks. in the room and you look put together and your clothes and your jewelry and everything <laughs> is like, it's 10 out of 10. And so to actually come back for part two and open up about what was really going on, I think is important for people to hear. Yeah, I think it's important for everyone, right? Like, I think we're all seeing on social more that there's a lot of that talk about like burnout and soft life and authenticity. And I've always been authentic with where I am and what I'm dealing with. But as I was learning it, I wasn't exactly sharing it. And part of that's boundaries, part of that's privacy. And part of it is this thing where, you know, I like to share my scars and not my scabs. I want to get all the way through so I can understand it before I start talking about it. Meaning like you don't want to start talking about something until it's done and behind you because mm -hmm. you want to be able to fully like know that it's already in the past and done, not while you're in it because it's unpredictable where it's going to go. That's exactly right. Plus I have kids and I also have to understand it, right? Like how many people, how many times do we see like the young people on social who real time are going on crying like, I don't know why this is happening. And it's like, girl, give it like two months. You'll understand it. You know right. what I mean? I also think just like it's kind of spiraling off that when there's an issue that people want influencers or celebrities mm -hmm. or whatever or entrepreneurs to say something about. For, for me, I'm the same way. I got a, I got a step get back informed. and I got to have my th my thoughts mm -hmm. and my bearings and get to the other side before I just 
quickly come out and react. Absolutely. Well, and that's something that, I mean, you know me, I'm team Grace and I can speak all day about like how you're the goodness of the team Bostick, you know, but I can also tell you that it's amazing how quickly people expect you to share every aspect of your life. So during that time frame, I was putting on social, you know, working through some stuff, trying to figure things out. I wasn't being cryptic. I was actually being very honest about that, but I wasn't going into detail because frankly, I didn't even know what was happening. Can't say you're going through a divorce if you haven't filed your papers yet. It was interesting because people would be in the comments saying things like, you know, you left your man, you know, you lost weight and you left your man. And it was like, if I am working through my marriage, how does this help? If you genuinely care, how does this help? And also, what on earth makes you feel entitled to my pain while I'm in pain? You know, if you can tell someone's going through something, shouldn't your response be empathy? Yeah, I think that there's a weird there there is a weird position people are in, especially people of platforms where they're mm-hmm. expected like the expectation is you are obligated to share everything, everything. at all times instantly. Mm-hmm. And there are some things that I want to share, some things I don't want to share, some things that I feel less informed about mm-hmm. that I feel not qualified to share about. Mm-hmm. Like the, I I think my big problem with people of platforms is they feel that pressure And people put that pressure on them. But then those same people also feel that they need to comment on everything. Sometimes people just need to shut up. Yeah, no, listening is the answer. Yes. Yeah, I mean, it's like, it's it's a, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't scenario. But if you're doing things because other people expect you to do those things and it's not, you're not called to it, that's a problem. And it's not your own thought process. And also, I think that sometimes people really take for granted the fact that being quiet with your platform is also respecting the fact that you have a platform. If you have a huge audience, it is wildly irresponsible for you to be so quick on the uptake with sharing what you're going through, sharing what your opinion is, sharing what you think. You must take a minute to say, hey, look, I can't just say like, oh, this thing has happened. Let me hop on a megaphone and speak to 156 million people about whatever it is that I'm thinking. Please, be responsible. You, you know? actually look unhinged. You look unhinged. 75% of the fucking time <laughs> yes. when you go on social media <laughs> and you blare your every thought. Mm-hmm. I mean, give it a fucking beat, man. Absolutely. Like, I, why, I, I don't want to tell people every single thing that's in my head the second that I feel it. Mm-hmm. Let me wrap my head around it. But go through the feelings, too. Like if if my marriage had gotten better and I'd taken people on the roller coaster, because let's just be clear, I was in I'd been married for 12 years. I have three babies that we'd adopted together. You know, I was really planning on staying like I like being a wife. You know, I enjoy marriage. And it was the type of thing where there were a couple moments during that time frame while we were separated. Now, I mean, little do people know we're going on three plus years, you know, of me being out of this process. And it's crazy because people are just finding out. You know, and they're saying to me like, wow, Nicole, we didn't even know. Or why didn't you say anything? And it's like, because what would it have looked like if every time I went on, I was like, we're together. We're not together. We're working on it. We're not together. That's unreal. Who does that? You know, I've never asked anyone this ever. And I think that this will be interesting coming from you. What is the process of even starting to think about divorce to when you're actually divorced? Like, forget about mm-hmm. when you decide to get divorced. Sure. We know, sure. we know, sort of what happens. What you file like. the papers. Mm-hmm. What does it look like when you even start to entertain that idea? I think that is such a good question, and it's also something that 
I thought was, and this is the sort of the madness of kind of like sickness or, you know, anything is you think you're the only one going through it. But I learned it's actually really similar for most people. So when you first start thinking about it, you're still well within the marriage. Most people can say like, oh, no, I was thinking about divorce two, three years before I even left, before I even took any motions towards it. So it's you start thinking about it. Then you usually Google, right? You start looking around and saying like, okay, well, what does it look like? And you scare yourself. Then you will start looking at other people who've gotten divorced and start comparing yourself. Like, well, that person got divorced and they survived. Well, that person got divorced and they got remarried. And you start really trying to get a glimpse of what the vision would look like on the other side. And I know this for a fact because I have women in my DMs every day who are like, I want to pull the trigger or I have pulled the trigger or it's good to see that you're engaged now because now I know it can happen for me. And then after that, usually at some point in time, you leave. You leave or or your partner leaves, one or the other. I left my home, my life, my multi-million dollar everything with three suitcases. I left. I packed up my bags and I left and I went. I came to L.A., With the girls or without the girls? Without the girls. So I have a full-time nanny who was there seven to seven. So I packed up my bags. Did you have to contextualize it to the girls? Yes and no. I thought I was traveling. You know what I mean? Because I came to L.A. every two weeks anyways for business. So I was like, okay, well, I'm going to come to L.A. and I'm going to see my therapist because my therapist is here and I'm just going to check into the hotel. Well, when I got to the hotel, I slept for so long they did a wellness check and they knocked on the door to make sure I was okay because I hadn't ordered any food and no one had seen me. And I could barely talk when they did the wellness check because I hadn't had water in so long. And you were just out because you were so exhausted? I was out. I was physically exhausted and sick. How many hours is this? I would say it was probably, I want to say 30 hours. Holy shit. Yeah, like I just, I completely, but also time zones. We'll give time yeah, zones yeah, credits, right? You know, because of traveling. Yeah, but yeah. either way, I slept straight, like did not get up, did not move, dead to the world. After I got up, I remember just being in a stupor and feeling like I could only mentally take one thing in front of me. So it was like, okay, drink water. Okay, eat some food. Lay back down. Just send a text to the girls. And then finally, I actually just told my sister, I said, can you please check in on the kids? Because I don't know if I'll be able to. You know, I mean, it was just really step by step. And I think that's very similar for a lot of women. And it's in that sort of critical couple of weeks where I think a lot of women go back. Because that reality sets in where it's like, I am at my weakest and can I function? Can I rebuild? Do I have anything left? And whether you go back or not, you know, I'm a proponent of marriage. I want people to stay together. I want it to work. But I also believe people should always go after the best for themselves. And that includes, you know, my ex, you know, everyone should have their best, you know, and I was not his best. And so it's, well, I mean... (laughs) No, but true. Like, you know, I don't, not the best for him. What he needs in a partner is not what I was going to be able to do. So all that being said, you know, I think everyone kind of goes through that phase. And then you go through this phase where you start healing a little bit because you have one less thing. And I kind of compare it to when you're looking at a laptop and you close out some tabs, you know, and everything gets a little bigger. So you're able to kind of read a little bit more. You know, it's not that I can see the whole page. It's not that I'm able to even consume the information without clicking on the tab. But suddenly I feel like I can see a little clearer. And then you start wanting to be able to see one thing at a time and you start wanting so much more. And when you start feeling little glimpses of hope, that hope fuels you to file. And then when the time comes, you file, you know, and then you move on. And about how long does it take you to kind of 
come out of it and just feel like you're in a good place. And I'm sure it's different for everybody. It is different for everyone. I would say, and I'm going to be completely transparent, for me, it was about nine months. And a lot of that was because I was dealing with medical things as well. But it, I feel like nine months for me was quicker than a lot of women because some women are still going through it post-divorce. You know, th- their healing is delayed, but I had older children. I also had money, you know, and I always talk about the privilege of being wealthy, you know, like I worked really hard to have that privilege, you know, but I was able to use my money, you know, to be able to see doctors when I needed to see doctors, get all sorts of physical therapists if I needed those, you know, and I'm that I'm sure helped. though that also becomes an issue in the divorce. Oh, it does. No, I mean, I, you know, without going into too many details sure. about the financials, but absolutely, you know, that's not something that is loved, you know, when you're able to spend money the way that's necessary to take care of yourself. But I had to do it because I'm the earner. So I had to make sure I was alive. <laughs> so you said you were simultaneously dealing with your health issues. Oh, yes. While doing while getting divorced. Mm-hmm. How are you showing up for your children and for your business while all this is going on? I'm trying not to get teary. It's crazy because I recount a lot of what got me here in my book. But the real time, you know, of everything, I'm still in it. A lot of that involved, one, I was flying home every two weeks. I knew I wasn't going to move back home, but I was going back and forth plus whatever occasion there was. So well, if that there takes was, a toll, too. Oh, that's a huge toll. I mean, like just flying back and forth, you know, so I was bi-coastal, you know, by every definition. Aside from that, I, I was too scared to even buy an air fryer here. So I was living in like a pseudo life. Buying an air fryer would mean that my marriage was really over because I already had an air fryer. So if I bought one, then that would mean that I don't need my old one, which means I'm not going home, you know. And so I was living in like Airbnb, you know, style because I was like, I don't need anything. I don't need furnitures. I don't need, I just need to be able to move my suitcases because I'm going to go home. So I lived like that for a year. So, I mean, if you think about that from your, for your health, you know, it's like I, I just wasn't rooted anywhere. And so I was trying to make my health a priority, but getting rooted was difficult. And I mean, my business took a hit in terms of my ability to grow. Fortunately, I'd done everything on a base level so it was stable so I could fund my life. But you could like take the hit and kind of let it go. Oh, yeah. A like, little bit but I couldn't slip. grow. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Like there were opportunities that I turned down because I physically could not show up. But I think that's you know? okay because sometimes I feel like people, I mean, definitely entrepreneurs, they feel like if you're not growing, oh, it's it, just a yeah, di- and like you it. don't realize you still have a phenomenal thing mm-hmm. and it's okay to slow down here and there, especially if you work for yourself. Oh, for sure. Well, and that was the reminder too, right? Girl, you built it well because look at you stepping back and the whole machine is running. When when should you have done that five years before? You know, because it seems it like break. a common theme with you. And I mean, this is a compliment. It's going to sound not a compliment at first, but I know you. It's fine. Suppression. (laughs) Suppression. Suppress Mm -hmm. it. Suppress it. Move Mm -hmm. on. Drive forward. Drive forward. Mm -hmm. Drive forward. And I think it's gotten you to where you are to suppress and move forward. Mm -hmm. But then it seemed like it got to a point where it stopped getting you to the next level because you had to stop suppressing to get there. Is that a theme going way back to your childhood that that you've always been like that? Like just suppress it and move forward? Yeah, it's interesting. And I hope that anyone who's listening that kind of feels that they're either in this place now or they're considering it later can see if there's patterns. So I grew up in a home. My dad was a narcissist and his feelings, if anyone knows anything about narcissists, narcissists are the only people in the room who are allowed to like live, breathe, think, rule, whatever. We just did a full episode with Kathy who you saw out there. Yes, I love Kathy. And she was saying basically with narcissists, there's 
basically nothing you can do. Yeah, there's nothing you can she do. She said in all her mm-hmm. years as a therapist, they she did not help any narcissist or could yep. not. You can't. I mean, you just can't. And so my dad was a narcissist. And what that meant was, you know, everyone else was kind of for his purpose, you know, including me growing up. So, you know, it was you're going to play these sports. You're going to get these grades. You're going to look this way. You're going to dress this way. And anything short of that is failure. And I talk about it, that in the book. And so, you know, one, that means that if you are feeling a feeling, you better suppress it because that feeling will never supersede whoever is the main person in the house. And aside from that, if anything goes wrong, it was your fault and you need to fix it. You know, which when you're young, that's you can only imagine how confusing that is for a young person. And I talk about that through, you know, several stories in my book, one of which, you know, was where I came home and I was, I think, eight or nine. And I came back from I needed to wash my gym uniform. I went to a private school and I was washing things for the first time. We didn't have money. So I was washing it in a bucket in a tub in our one-bedroom apartment. And I added bleach to it. And it was uh, hunter green. And I didn't realize that. I thought bleach made things clean, you know? So I didn't understand that it would actually ruin the article of clothing. I was a latchkey kid, so I was home by myself. And my dad saw that I'd bleached it. And his response was to grab the wet article of clothing and beat me with it. Because I must have known what I was going to do. And now he would have to pay $11 to replace the uniform. And so, you know, growing up in that home where, you know, you would have this traumatic, terrifying response, you know, when I legitimately did not know what I was doing, you know, lent itself to me sort of picking partnerships. And I say partnerships, not just marriages, but business partnerships, workplace partnerships. You know, I was in the corporate world in a similar relationship where do whatever, stay up at whatever hours, you know, take your laptop with you on vacation. And I was like, of course, of course, of course, because I thought that was appropriate, you know. And the minute I stepped away from my marriage to take a business break and see my therapist, it was just enough time for me to realize, oh, no, like, I can't keep living like this because if I do, I'm going to die. Like, if I stayed in my marriage, I, I would not be alive. It almost sounds like, too, you kind of couldn't set boundaries with your dad because it's your mm-hmm. dad and you're so little. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like when you when you decided to get a divorce, you mm-hmm. realized you could set the boundaries 100%. to protect yourself. What were some of those boundaries that you found through getting divorced? Well, I can tell you that setting boundaries was the issue the entire time. Dr. Nedra Tawab is one of my favorite people to follow. She's um, actually... She's, she's been on here once or twice. Yeah, or two, twice. twice. She's, she's incredible. She actually um, read and, and supported the book and did like a blurb for me and everything because she understands the power of boundaries better than most people, you know? And I always take full responsibility. My partner, I don't have anything terrible to say about my ex publicly just because like... He is who he is. And he was always very clear about that. You know, it was just that I thought that if I could, even if happiness was a moving target, if I could bring it closer, if I could get us there, it would be better. You know, so I didn't set boundaries in my marriage and I should have. And he didn't set boundaries in the marriage and he should have, you know, and it was something that I really wonder at times, not too heavily, what it would have looked like if the person that's here today had been in that marriage and if it would have made a difference. But I do know that growing up with what I grew up with, I think my my choices in partnerships, relationships, jobs were already kind of faulty. You know, I just didn't have a good picker. While all of this is going on, is this also simultaneously happening with your kids? Yes. So... This is all at the same time. Well, oh. give context for people that no, have I, not she, heard she the will, first she will. Yeah. So, no, 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 no. Michael hasn't heard what she's about to say. This is different. 
all the things that are going on. You mean with my health? With your with your kids' health. Oh, with yeah. Every, like everything that you've been going through with your kids. Is mm-hmm. that also happening at the same time? Yeah. So, so yes, context-wise. I guess because we didn't even talk about this last time. I know. I get timelines. When was the last one? Were you here? Oh, my gosh. It was probably like June of 2021. Okay. So, yeah. yeah. So, it's okay. been years. Okay. So, when I was here last, we talked about how, yeah. yeah, two years. We talked about how my daughter had just gotten out of chemo. My 17-year-old, she's fine now, no recurrence. It's been years now. She's in the clear, thank God. But my older daughter actually left our home at 18, and I tell the story of what happened in the book, that moment and that decision and all of that, and decided to sort of take on the world. She was going through a lot. I knew where that was going to go, and I had my own thoughts around it. I pursued her daily, you know, to make sure that she always knew she could always come home, and I tell her that to this day. You know, no matter what, I'm never leaving. That was one of the first things I said to my kids when I met them, and I've yet to do it. I'm never leaving them. I found out, you know, when I was here— I left in June. You know, we separated in June. By November, my daughter called me and told me she had a bad addiction problem, my eldest one. And so at this point, I had a 17-year-old in recovery from chemo. You know, I had a 11-year-old child, you know, who was healthy, well-adjusted, living her best life, but entering the the preteens, you know, and so she needs her mama, you know. And then I had a 23-year-old who's calling me saying, mom, you know, I use too much, and like like my mom did. You know, and so I'm like, well, I'm in California, so let's check in at someplace in Malibu. And, you know, while I'm here trying to heal, we're going to do it together. So you just need to come up and be underneath mom. So I'm going through this divorce and helping my older daughter go well, it's through It's a testament recovery. that she felt confident enough to call you and comfortable always. enough. Right? I mean, the, every day that she left our house, I sent an email or I called her telling her, I love you and you can always come home. Well, because a lot of kids won't call their parents. Yeah, and she doesn't need to. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, and I think that is something that I, you know, for a lot of moms, they may feel like, oh my gosh, you know, my kid's out in the wild. What do I do? Well, for me, like, I'm calling you every day. You're going to have 500 voicemails for me (laughs) every single day saying you can't ever, like, you can always come home. And home isn't a place. It's me, you know? So wherever I am, there's space for you. She came home. You know, she called me and I and I put her on a plane, you know, brought her to me, took her to detox, you know, checked her in to treatment. She was there for 90 days, then put her in a sober living. And she did that. And she had a relapse, you know, when she got out after a year of sobriety. And now she's 154 days sober again. So, yeah, we're very I'm super, super proud of her. But, you know, I mean, it's just it's momming. I have all three of my babies. and I'm happy. How how did you also show up for your other daughter who was going through chemo? I, I don't understand how you, I mean, you really like do it all. Like I don't, that is like the business that you built yeah. with having three children and having a daughter that's going through chemo is, I mean, it. Well, I, I I'm not surprised that you like fell apart. Yeah, I'm not <laughs> right. No, but, well, that's part of it. I didn't process it. You know what I mean? Like you go into autopilot mode, you know, it's and you know how it is like right now, if either if either of your babies needed anything, this episode would be done. You know what I mean? Like it's it's easy to prioritize in your brain when your kids come first, but it's harder if you have a lot more things to juggle. And I'll be completely transparent here. And I've never said this anywhere. I don't even think I say this in the book. But once I got divorced and I didn't have to worry about my partner anymore, who I was, you know, very worried about all the time, you know, and it was a priority. His well-being was always a priority, if not the priority in the house. It just became a lot easier for me to be in other places. And including being with my children. So what do you, I, I talk about this all the time. I ask this question all the time to people that have this quality, which you you have it. Like just resilience. Where do you think that comes from? Because it's something that we think about a lot now with mm-hmm. our children, right? Like there's 
a high likelihood that our children could potentially grow up easier mm. than we grew up if we don't create the right boundaries, right. right? Right. Or they might have at times maybe greater opportunity. Who, who knows? But the point sure. is, I'm thinking like Lauren talks about this all the time: resourcefulness, resilience. Yeah. How yeah. Do you, like? Where do you think that comes from? So I think that's a great question. I and I actually talk about this in my book. I mean, one of the sentences I write is that my father loved me, but he also hated me. You know, and it that's a was heavy thing to, it's a it's a heavy thing to carry. My dad also, you know, and I mentioned he's passed at this point. He had Parkinson's, you know, so I also became his caregiver, you know, and provider also at age 18 because it was early onset. So where does that resilience come from? A byproduct, one of the best things his narcissism ever gave me is resourcefulness because a narcissist only cares about themselves. So someone's got to care for you, you know, and what's great is that same mentality around resourcefulness when coupled with love means that you have a kid who knows that they have that secure attachment where they're able to say, look, I can try this myself. And I can keep going even if it gets hard. But what's great is no matter what, there's someone else who's always going to help me carry it. And that's my mom or my dad or whatever else. So I always tell my kids, you know, who, you know, much like yours are in a position where they can grow up and have it a little easier, you know, and because I worked hard for that point. Like that is the point, right? You know, yeah. is I don't want my kids to have it as hard as I had it or as hard as life has already dealt them the cards. But my daughter has been doing her own laundry since she was six. She does her own dishes. She is shocked now at age 11 that people don't know how to pack and plan and make agendas and prepare themselves. Oh, that's me. And yeah, I mean, 100%. She could talk to me. Yes, I mean, literally. I don't know how to pack and plan and make an agenda. <laughs> you do, though. I haven't booked you a plane do. flight since I got together with Michael at 21. No, she I does. Don't, I would have you to Google how. Here's how I feel about Lauren. I feel... She acts like she can't do anything. She's if, super capable. Michael's oh, father. Yes. Tell him no. what your father says no, but about if me. I will tell the story first. If I leave the house, I feel like she's super woman in there. She's probably packing and planning yes. and doing all this stuff. But just when I'm there, she acts like she can't do anything. Tell well, him what your your dad says. I don't know what he says. He, he says, says I'm either the smartest, most oh, yeah, intelligent yeah. person, <laughs> genius he's ever met, or the stupid, <laughs> most stupid, dumb, idiotic person. He can't decide. Well, because <laughs> it's, because you can't because she does these things sometimes. We're like. Clearly, she's capable. Sure. Right. Like, right at this point, I tell Lauren, you're not fooling anybody. People know you're capable. I mean, like, you're sitting here, you know, your products are like, you've written multiple books. Like, you guys are Right, right. So, like, you're not fooling anybody. But then with me, you like, never sometimes know. I don't want to. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there's also that, no, but, you know? Uh, but, like, there's a follow up <laughs> question, though, for you when it comes to this result. Like, of course, your children know you're there, but mm -hmm. at what point do you let them kind of fall on their face? Like, when do you yeah. need to let that happen? So I also struggled with that because, again, boundaries, right? You know, and fear. Because I ran a home where I was the person who was carrying so much in terms of the responsibility, it was something where when I left, I was like, oh, God, like, this is all going to fall apart. You know, the adults are not in the house anymore. And my therapist told me this. She said, and because I lost it when my daughter left. When my daughter was 18, I remember calling my therapist from, I don't even know if this is in the book, calling from my bathroom the day she left. Just And the only thing I was screaming into the phone to my therapist was, she's not ready. Ugh, I'm trying to hit again. She's not ready yet. I just got her. She doesn't know enough. She's not going to be okay. And because I was just scared for her. You know, I'd only had her from 14 to 18. And I could, I knew the trauma in her because, you know. You felt she wasn't, she just, she, even though she was 18, it yeah, wasn't Yeah, she just, 18 is just a number. You know what I mean? Like, I know full-grown adults who can't take care of themselves better than my 11-year-old. And when you, know? you say left, do you mean she's going away to Just into lives? the world. She went into college. She ended up failing out. 
because she just wasn't ready. You know, there were things that I knew and I felt, but maturity is different with each of your, each of your children's different. You know, like you can have a toddler, one's going to walk in one month and one's going to walk another month. You know, one's ready for solids here, one's ready for solids a different time. Like it's, I, I saw her and I heard what she wanted, which was, I want to take on the world. I want to go to college. I want to do this. But what is college? Been drinking, independence around schedules. You need to have the confidence that you can go to classes every day. You need to know what you're doing. Like, how dare, you know, kids take on hundreds of thousand dollars in debt and have no idea what they want to even do. And well, they don't even teach sub- entrepreneurship. That, that you know is, what I mean? I, I've been saying for years, it's insane. It's but, insane. It's yeah. like, it's immoral. And they have less time to pay it back than you do a mortgage on a house. You have 20 years on a student loan and 30 on a house. And like, you can't BK out of it. And you can't BK out of it. You know, I just like, finished paying off my student loan. Like, Four years ago. And you're using your degree every day, right? Oh, Do you yeah. get what I'm saying? <laughs> like, it's just like, come on, you know? So it's like, but, you know, she felt like this is the right thing to do. And I got into college and, you know, I hustled for four years after coming out of the hood. Like, this is what I should do, you know? And I, I saw her shooting and I kept telling her, you, you don't have to do anything. But she was like, no, 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 this is right. And she went there and started drinking and, you know, got scared and wasn't sure what to do and didn't know what to do with freedom. She fell apart, you know? And so when she came home, I said, look, what do you want to do? You know, do you want to stay home? Because if you stay home, there are going to be rules. There's going to be responsibilities, things like that. And she was like, no, I just want to be free. I just want to go live with my friends and just kind of do what I want. And I was like, oh, honey, like, that's not how the world works, you know? And she was like, well, I've been on my own before with my other mom. Why can't I be on my own now? And I said, because it's different because I'm going to be with you and I'm on your back because I love you. Like, I'm not going anywhere. And she was like, all right, watch me, you know. And I talk about that moment in the book. But when she left, you know, and I had to let her go because I couldn't keep her. You know, she's 18 and she she's capable. My therapist looked me in the face and said, every single thing you have ever put in that girl is still there. And when the time comes, she will use it. And she was away from us and out of our home for almost four years before she called and needed to go into rehab. And I mean, I saw her in between that time sure. and had phone calls and I had many a 911 where people don't even know I'd be on set for a show. I Actually, I was came out of dropping off our daughter from chemo and hopped on a plane and 24 hours flew up to her to check her into a hospital with a suicide attempt. You know, so I mean, it was like while you're working and doing while I'm show. working and doing the show and managing Jesus. my marriage and everything. You know, I mean, like it was truly the most chaotic probably like past three, four years before I ended up divorcing. And she was using everything. I mean, she was like, oh, mom, I remembered your broccoli recipe. Even tiny things like that, you know, it's in there. Oh, mom, I remembered how to apply for this. Or, oh, and if nothing else, she never forgot my phone number, you know? So if the kids can believe that you're there, that's enough. Let me introduce you to like one of the best things ever. Zbiotics, a pre-alcohol probiotic. You guys, if you like to have margaritas and you like to have Brunello wine like me, you need to check this out. So it sort of like preps you for the next day, which I think is amazing. There's nothing worse than us having to like go out with clients or do like a business situation dinner. We'll open a bottle of wine, we'll have some margaritas, and then you have to wake up and you feel like shit. But with this, you drink your little Zbiotic pre-alcohol probiotic before you drink. And then you have your fun and then you wake up feeling refreshed. I have two children and I have busy days. So this is a no-brainer for me. I also just love the fact that they have so much science behind it. Basically, I looked into it. And when you drink, alcohol gets converted into a toxin byproduct in the gut. 
And this byproduct, not the dehydration, is to blame for your rough day next day. So Zbiotics produces an enzyme to break this product down. Thanksgiving is right around the corner, so make sure you stock up on Zbiotics pre-alcohol probiotic before the feast. You will be so thankful you did the next day. Go to zbiotics.com/skinny. You get 15% off your first order when you use code skinny at checkout. Zbiotics is backed with a 100% money back guarantee, so if you're unsatisfied for any reason, they'll refund you your money no questions asked. Remember, head to zbiotics.com/skinny or use code skinny at checkout for 15% off. Thank you Zbiotics for sponsoring this episode and our good times. Ring Concierge. It's the leading luxury jeweler online. You've seen it everywhere, all over Instagram. They have the best jewelry. What I have from them is I have like a stack of earrings on my ears on both of them. And I went to Ring Concierge and literally curated my stack. So I told her that I wanted a really simple, beautiful, classic look, but I also wanted little diamonds to brighten the whites of my eyes and my teeth. And she really worked with me to create the stack of my dreams. It's so beautiful. It's like very fine and dainty and delicate. And then I also got this really gorgeous tennis bracelet from her. So I'm a big fan. I wear ring concierge stuff all the time and I could not be more excited to introduce you guys to them. Just play this podcast right now for your significant other and be like hint hint because they only need to be looking there for the holidays. Just trust me. They have all different kinds of diamonds. They have handcrafted engagement rings. Everything feels so custom, but they also have accessible on-trend and wearable everyday fine jewelry. So you can go on there and just really make it your one-stop shop for jewelry. Out of all my jewelry brands, they are one of my favorites. I'm obsessed. I've had her on the podcast twice, Nicole, who owns it, because I'm so interested in what she does. Shop fine jewelry at ringconcierge.com and use code SKINNYRC. That's code SKINNYRC for 20% off your fine jewelry purchase. I'm going to introduce you to the best sleep hack for a baby on the planet. This is a hack that I have used with my son almost every single day, and he sleeps through the night. First of all, I have a couple things that I do. There's no light in his room when he sleeps, not even the light from the wipe warmer. I will like cover it up. So I like no light at all. And then I'll do a little bit of white noise, just a little bit. And then I use Dreamland Babies lightly weighted sleep sacks. This sleep sack is absolutely life-changing. It totally makes sense too. When I'm winding down at night, I like a weighted blanket. So it would make sense that a baby would like a lightly weighted sleep sack. The one that Towns has is neutral. It's beautiful. He looks forward to it. He also associates it with sleep. So when I pull out the sleep sack, he knows it's time to go to bed. And I think it helps him just wind down. It curbs any anxiety or stress that the baby might be having. I literally think it is the best sleep hack for new mothers. Towns is now one and a half and he still uses it. I am in love with this thing. They are proudly helping over 500,000 families get more sleep. God bless. God bless. Go to dreamlandbabyco.com and enter our code SKINNY at checkout to receive 20% off site-wide and free shipping. This offer is for new and existing customers. That's code SKINNY at checkout. Receive 20% off site-wide plus free shipping. Do you think that there's a little bit, and maybe your therapist has told you this too, mm-hmm. I'd be interested to what your opinion is. There's a little part of your oldest, from what I hear from mm-hmm. you, that actually like almost 
has anger or resentment towards you, but it's misdirected and it should be towards her mom. Oh, I mean, mommy issues are mommy issues, right? Right. Like it's interesting because you're you know, telling me all this 100%. and I feel like she's angry at oh, you, but it's misdirected anger. She, I mean, and our relationship now is amazing, right? Because she knows because I have never left. You know, I have earned my stripes, you know, around momming. Whereas my little one, she doesn't know anyone else besides me as mom. You know, she's 11 now. I've had her since she had just turned three. My middle one, who was 11, I got her just early enough. Which, by the way, know? people who aren't familiar with the story, you need to go oh, back right. and listen to the first episode we did <laughs> right. with Nicole to get context of what you're meaning. Right. I adopted my three kids from the side of a Baltimore City street. And, you know, after 30 days, her mom went to jail. I took them in. And I've had them ever since. I was 28 at the time. That was so, a very condensed version. Very condensed. There's a the lot episode, of nuances. The first episode we did with you is phenomenal. So you yeah, it's still like lots of nuances because there was, you know, addiction, all these things. But all that being said, yeah, my older one, I mean, she understands herself better now. Also, think about all of us at 18. What we thought we knew. The worst part about 18 is you think you know everything and the world is reminding you at every turn that you know nothing. You know, at least at like 30, we recognize that we know nothing and we're willing to go out and get it from somewhere else. You know what if I mean? If you're lucky, you realize that if at 30. If you're lucky, you realize <laughs> it at 30. So, you know, she's at the age now where, you know, she crossed that kind of 21 threshold where you have a lot more humility and life gave her a lot of lumps. And she looked at me and she said, Mom, I have to tell you the truth. It was hard for me to believe that you ever loved me when my own mother never loved me. And it broke my heart because when I tell you the way that I love my kids, like, I I, I want to have more kids, you know? Like, I'm in a new partnership and I want to have more kids and I never take away what, what it may mean to carry a kid, you know? If that is 100%, then I love my kids 99.99999, you know? What I, I'm terrified about how much I'm going to love a child that I carry if if it could even be more than the children I have now. And I only wish my eldest daughter could see herself the way that I see her, you know, and, but that's an ongoing battle. But fortunately, all my babies are here, you know. When you, when you adopted three children, did you use a therapist to help with the transition of that? And did that, did a therapist tell you that you, that there would be a point that maybe one of them or two of them or all of them, I don't know, mm -hmm. would have that resentment towards for their sure. own mother. For sure. I mean, we've been in therapy for about eight, 12 years now, going as frequently as twice a week, you wow. know? So, I mean, I probably, I spend a proper mortgage in therapy, you know, and it's because I'm a believer. I've seen it create change. And also because we have a lot of different complexities, you know, going on in our household. But when it comes to my girls, they each have a different relationship with their mother. You know, my three-year-old, barely remembers her. You know, my middle one always felt a detachment from the household because she was 11 and she was kind of like, I'm the middle child slash why am I even here? Everything's kind of off. I don't really get it. And then my older one has, you know, seen and experienced the most, you know, of addiction and some that byproduct. And I also think it's worth saying just as kind of a mini disclaimer, my bio, I call her my baby mama, you know, my bio mom. She's the greatest gift. She has made the hardest choice, you know, choosing to sign over your kids, you know, is a brave venture. I never could have done it. You know, she did something I can honestly say I could never have done. Where is she now? So she's uh, working on her sobriety. You know, I actually haven't shared this anywhere. No one knows this, but my kid's bio dad died just a few months ago. And so, you know, while dealing with the divorce process, that's something else I've, I, I've always, we've always known the day would come whenever you're dealing with someone with addiction, you know that that's going to happen. And so, you know, helping my girls through that process, you know, is not easy. You know, now she's on her own. So we're, you know, 
she's working on her sobriety, making sure she's stable. But she's always been in our life. Yeah, always. The hard thing with everything that that you talk about is like there's no manual for what you're doing. Oh, no. And it's like sometimes I feel like this is just chaos. You know what I mean? Like You can't even Google it. it does, you can't you even Google? Google. There's no rules for it. Like And then throw in, you know, a TV show on a major cable network and throw in a multi-million dollar self-made business. And, you know, it's a lot. It's a lot of throw in skincare. I mean, it's that alone, you know what skincare, I mean? Skincare, I mean, that skincare takes alone. 30 fucking minutes and now <laughs> every single Michael day. Michael just learned he needs to brush well, up his eyebrows. Part of, it's a real thing. Well, I mean, <laughs> it's, you know, no, your, your life is nothing short of crazy. I don't know if it's to tell crazy. You that. It's crazy. It's chaos. Um, yeah. But part of the reason, well, I mean, there's many reasons I want to talk to you. And, and obviously you have a show and you're doing it with us mm-hmm. and all that. And we have a relationship. But when we, we just saw you in Austin at the event and we were sharing a stage <laughs> right. with you. And I have to, like, I told Lauren after, I'm like, holy shit. Like, you, Everyone said that. You were the main attraction on that yeah. stage. Are you kidding no, me? No, for sure. Like, for no, sure. every single and, person that we went to dinner with, we went to dinner with like seven people that were on the team. And every single person was moved by like, you. I got oh fired gosh. up on the stage. And I, well, well and you I guys think, are great. I mean, no, no but listen, yeah. you, you're, you're, Thank you. Level a pro. Thank but you. But I, I think like there's a, there's so many people like one, this story is incredible, but they look to you for entrepreneurial career mm-hmm. advice. Mm-hmm. And I think because again, you have the stripes there as well. Yeah. yeah. And you get credit in a lot of areas, but I think like in this particular area, there's a lot of young people that want to do what you've done mm-hmm. and also maybe come from tough circumstances sure. or little opportunity. Sure. And I want you to talk about it a little bit because you talked, you touched on it before, but mm-hmm. y- y- there's this recurring theme. It's like, well, I don't have this opportunity or mm-hmm. my upbringing was this. And it's like an excuse to hold Constant people excuse. back. Constant excuse. Absolutely. And I want so you to talk about that a little bit. That is a real thing. Um, there's a quote that I use in the book that when you hear it, you're going to think, oh, that's offensive. But if you sit with it for a second, you'll understand what it means. So my father used to drive me around. He was a taxi driver in D.C. And so I spent a lot of time you know, kind of held captive in the passenger seat of a narcissist car, you know, and, you know, you can only imagine the impact on my mind. But, you know, a a broken clock is right twice a day, you know, and he had a couple of gems there that were really effective, one of which was we drive around these buildings and he would say, look, you know, people think America is all about getting the house and the cars and the 2.5 kids and all that. And he was like, it's not. It's about options and choices and opportunity. And you need to be chasing those. And those are available to everyone. And he would point at the buildings and he would say, look, America is one of the only places where you can go from cleaning one of those to having your name on the side of one. You know, and that was his perspective. And sure, some people may, you know, have a couple more cards in their deck. But I know people who were born with tons of opportunity that have nothing to show for it or have squandered it all. 100%. 100%. And so it's one of those things where I have never been afraid to open my mouth to ask for the opportunity. I go out and get what I want. And that is something that I've also empowered my daughters to do. And frankly, they've been my fuel too. I can't sit here and write the wrong book. You know, I can't sit here and talk about a business book when I have a story to tell, which is this is the book you need to make the business book work. You know, if you understand, look, I'm going to tell you every single thing I've gone through and everything I've learned from it and understand that I did all the things you've seen on the outside while dealing with this. I don't want to hear anything about how you can't. I think this is so, <laughs> such an important book to write because it does set the foundation. And when you mm-hmm. were telling me about this book, I'm like, the business book is will be there. We'll be well, there. The as, business for book sure. will come. And as to, mm-hmm. and as I a mean, matter I, that could I, write I, itself too. Right. I will say this. I, I'm just going to use the term as a matter of fact and people might push against that. I know many more people that have started out with so much opportunity and have completely squandered and lost it. I mean, I I can name many people that they they should have been so or could Mm -hmm. have been or had Mm -hmm. the opportunity just blew it, right? Because they didn't have the drive. 
compared to like we you know we do the show we talk to all these people people that have started from very humble circumstances oh, yeah. and have made so much so i think absolutely like, you know it's a re- i think it's a real disadvantage at times when you start on square 10 oh, for because sure. you it think you're be. gonna stay there forever yeah it can be right and the and pressure too that, the mindset that's thing that sometimes offends people to say sure sure because they're like what are you talking about i'd love to start there but i know a lot of people that start at square 10 and go back to square one you get too like, people also don't understand a lot of the pressure too i mean like as somebody who started from square negative zero you know i made it to square 10 like understand i know what it's like to sleep on a couch and wake up with roaches crawling on me i also know what it's like to sleep in a multi-million dollar home where i bought the lots next to me so i wouldn't have neighbors you know and fly on jets and Total things of that sort move. you know what i mean like I mean, tiny move. flex you know what i mean <laughs> I mean, like, I know what that's like also. And I can tell you that I recognize having been in both brackets, you know, on both sides of it, that I don't know if I had as much clarity as I do now, you know, and and that has nothing to do with money. But you, you know, you also have. How do I say this? You you also have the understanding of what those places are like. So mm-hmm. you know, one, you don't want to go there, but you're also not scared to be there. I'm not scared. To, and no one should be because you belong. You know, my dad used to say, which is funny how often I quote him considering, you know, but that is you know, interesting. it is interesting. Right. And I quote him a lot because a lot of the things that he would say, the voices that are in my head, I've had to sort of re- rename and reconfigure because a lot of his messages were right. It was how he said them that was wrong. So one of the things he would tell me is like, look, you came to America and you already have three strikes against you or you already have two strikes against you. You are black and a woman and you and you are already growing up poor. So that means that you have to work and show up and be 10 times better in every single room. I always heard just be 10 times better. You know, like I didn't even and it's not you that I'm not aware you're black, black and, you're and a I'm a woman a, and you don't have opportunity. No, because like the thing about it is that's still true. Make no mistake. I'm not sitting here saying that there isn't, you know, racism and issues. Not all of that's true, but it doesn't change that I still have to do my very best, like my very best wherever I go. Sometimes that won't be enough. You know, that is the truth. Sometimes I won't cut it, but I was not going to show up and be shabby. Well, I think what something really important that you just said is. Mm-hmm. I get asked all the time, like in interviews, like, what's it like to be a girl boss? And I'm like, <laughs> you mean no, a boss? I'm not a girl Just boss. A boss. <laughs> I'm a boss. Like and <laughs> ever, ever since I've, you know, walk into meetings with tons of men, mm-hmm. I've never been like, oh, I'm going to put myself below all mm-hmm. these men. I walk in as an equal, as Absolutely. a boss and sit, if I want, at the fucking head of the table. At the head of the table, and that's right. you do do that in a different way. Sure. Where you walk into a room and there's no energy given other than the fact that you're here to show up for 100%. Oh, you're so kind. Thank you for and that. No, it's, it's a very... Uh, but, you know, but you understand that it's like, I've gone to events sometimes where they're like, look, and this is also, it's the humility, right? So I talk about this in, this, in the book too, is it's not that we need to ignore that we've been through stuff. Grant yourself some grace. You know, you don't have to beat yourself up. You don't have to say, oh, well, I have to go through hard stuff just to grind my way to the top. It's not that, you know, but there is an element of awareness of that humility. I'll go into a room and if they say, hey, Nicole, we don't have room for you to be a keynote speaker. It doesn't matter how many. I could be an Oscar winner. You aren't going to be a keynote speaker. You're going to get five minutes where you get to introduce someone. Well, guess what? I'm going to get booked again and again over those five minutes. One of the things I used to say to myself when I was 12 years old is the biggest mistake you'll ever make is putting a mic in my hands because you'll never want to take it out. Well, I didn't want to take it out sitting next to you on stage (laughs) next to you. No, No, that's actually a that's a very good takeaway is like if you have five minutes, you better make those the best goddamn best in your life. And and here's Mm -hmm. the thing. I mean, for people that weren't there at this event, I mean, 
the way we set this panel up is we all kind of just had limited time. But everyone was brilliant on the panel. I know, they were but like, I told it was Michael like that you should know, but the point is, is, this is <laughs> like, you, you're right. Like you, you, you take that moment of time and you have an impact. Mm-hmm. It's important. So when people come to you, individuals come to you yeah. and they have self-limiting beliefs or mm-hmm. these self-limiting stories about mm-hmm. their circumstances and you're trying to jar them out of that. Mm-hmm. Again, it's a touchy conversation is, because yeah. people feel personally attached For or sure. they feel maybe at this point in your life, you're privileged and have For opportunity sure. to... For sure. Like, I how, get that all the time. How do you get them out of that mindset. Well, one of the things is this book, right? You know, people tell me who have just met me now, they're like, yeah, well, it's easy for you to say because you're you're thin and pretty. Oh, honey, I used to have 100 pounds on me and cystic acne. So now what? I was a millionaire then too. So what now? You know, I've had people say, oh, it's easy for you to say now because you're rich and you drive a Tesla and have a Rolex. Oh, honey, I slept on a couch with roaches and I ate leftover meals. So what now? I've been both. You know what I mean? And I've been wealthy and successful and had the right mindset in both. So what I always tell people is I'm not going to undermine what you've been through. It's all valuable. It's all true. It means that it is going to be harder. Now what? And so what happens is I say, tell me every self-limiting belief you've got. Now what? So that is true. I'm not going to invalidate it. Now what? Giving Joe Dispenza vibes. Like, this is what Joe Dispenza says. Well, it's it's just true. It's It's just like, like, it's true. All of it's true. So so you're going to base your whole future on your past. Yep. I mean, or on what you're carrying now. Lauren says sometimes my delivery is off, but I think you articulated better than me. It's like you can have all of these things Mm -hmm. and they are all true. Mm Mm-hmm. Everything mm-hmm. you believe is true. Everything mm-hmm. you went through is mm-hmm. true. Mm-hmm. But to your point, now what? Because now what? Like we, you, nobody's coming to help you. Yeah. Nobody's coming to save you. If you're that not is save a whole yourself. chapter in the book labeled "No One's Coming to Save You." It's true. I have a whole chapter labeled "No One's Coming to Save there's You." A, there's a what's that book? There's mm-hmm. a book by Benjamin Franklin. It's like the Path to Wealth, and it's like it says mm-hmm. God helps those who help, help themselves. themselves. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, is that the right? Mm-hmm. right? And and it's true. Yep. Like nobody's coming. Like if you're not willing to pull yourself up, you're gonna love this. That was the original title of the book was no one's coming to save you and everyone was like that seems a little aggressive oh my god <laughs> like masturbating oh, and it's so funny because no one's coming to save you was very much when i left my divorce that was the mindset i was in which was girl no one's coming to save you so you can save yourself what does that look like but then you know over time with more grace i was like you know what no one's coming to save me but the evolved version of that is nothing's missing so if nothing's missing with me no matter what society's saying then then i have everything i need to get where I want to be. But subconsciously, you know? especially in business or as you get further along and when I meet mm-hmm. people that are just starting their career, like I am much more inclined and enticed to help people that I see trying their hardest sure. than I am to somebody who hasn't sure. tried and who's just asking for help. Absolutely. When I get a message, hey, and I get these messages All too. All the time. <laughs> hey, can you help me? Can you loan me some money? Can you do this? Mm-hmm. Most of the time it's an ignore. And it's like, if you're not really like, let, show me what you've done first mm-hmm. and then. And then there's many times like, okay, if, you, if I see, then maybe I can create some kind of sure. situation where sure. I can be helpful. Or do but, your, but people don't understand that that's how business works too, right? It's if you're an investor, if you're seeking investor, you're you're going to be your own. The first investors are the three Fs, right? Fools, friends, and and family, right? <laughs> so if the first investors are, and that's because these people don't care what you've done, you know, but after that, if you want to go into a seed round, you're going to need to show what you've built, you know, and that's the truth of it. So for me, it's like, I recognize I'm coming with nothing, but I'm, I've got work ethic, you know, and I know that I'm going to try. And that's actually, you know, the business, the birth of the business, me starting with $24 in my bank account and building a debt-free business is in the book as well, where, you know, some of my first, my very first employees, this woman named Gail, she called me the day that I quit my job because I quit my job live online in front of 10,000 people. And she called me after watching that and she was like, hey, I want to help you. And I was like, and I already knew of her. I knew she was capable. She's like a brilliant marketing brain, brilliant operations person, you know, and I was like, 
okay, but I can't pay you because I'm also very transparent. Like you pay people what they're, they're owed and you pay them in full. Like that is just a moral standing, right? And she was like, it's okay. I believe in you. I know how you work and I know we'll square up. We have made each other millions, you know, to this day. She That's is so actually cool. a stay-at-home mom. And she's also someone who, and I talk about this in the book, she's also someone who will never want for anything because she came to me knowing I didn't have saw my work ethic, knew that I'm also honest and loyal and will show up. If her kids needed, and my kids will never eat and her kids not eat, you know, because I honor people who get that. So like, I get what you mean about people sliding into the DMs thinking they're just going to get a handout, you know, but if no one's ever going to help you, what would you do then? If the issue is I have to dismantle the patriarchy so that then I can get ahead, then girl, get about it. So that that way you can get ahead. It's not saying I don't want to be charitable or people shouldn't be charitable. I'm just saying that if you're vetting one against the other. For sure, and you, you want to see- invest where it matters. Yeah. I'm not going to give my money to a charity that's just going to use it to go to, you know. Or an individual that's not willing to help themselves because right. I'm looking at it as like, we'll be here in three months doing the same for thing. Sure, right? For like, sure, for sure. You ha- you have to be willing to help yourself, but also just like the belief in yourself. But mm-hmm. no, I, I, I just wanted to talk through that. Uh, the other thing I wanted to ask you is, what are the most common things or issues people are coming to you with when it comes to their career business? Like, what what are the things that keep popping up on your radar over and over that you're seeing commonality between many people? So they've changed a lot. You know, I would say probably five years ago, I was getting a lot of people who were like, well, I want to get into like being an influencer or I want to get sponsorships and deals. Now I'm getting a lot of people who are like, I want to pivot. Like, I realized that I should have built a product years ago. I realized that I don't even understand my finances. Like, I made the money, but I don't know what to do with it or how to keep it or how to grow it without pouring into ads all the time or what. So I get a lot of pivoters or people who are just seeking to have more understanding around what to do. Like, what is a profit and loss statement? Like, they skipped a lot of steps. They went for the glitz, the glam, you know, the appearances without thinking like, oh, no, I still have to do real business things. Oh, yeah, you do, honey. You got to understand like your profit and your loss. You got to understand margins. You can't just make up prices. You know, being a girl boss is not just photos with a laptop, you know, and a beach in a background. It's also understanding what the heck you're doing, why you're doing it in marketing, you know. So I get a lot of that. People who just don't understand the pieces. Like my office is actually not too far away. Like I opened up an office. I had a headquarters in Atlanta, closed that down. That's the other part, downsizing. So I get a lot of people who are in this market looking to do it right because people overscaled. Mm-hmm. So in this economy, you know, you did you ever really need 16 employees? Did you ever really need to have, you know, 15 warehouses or did it just really look good with you taking a picture in hot pink heels on a forklift? I talk about this all you the time. You know what I mean? If like if, if the first problem solved in a company is hire more people, that's not a... That's, that's not actually the solve. Human yep. capital is actually one of the biggest drivers of companies going under. You know, a lot of people are talking about layoffs and things of that sort, you know, happening right now. And they're like, this is terrible, whatever. And I'm like, it's not really layoffs. It's that they overhired to begin with. 100%. And they also overpaid. They'll hire all these people back, but at the right rate. I made a comment. You know? And I know, again, we're getting into murky waters here. I spoke on this panel in Cannes when we were over there. And I... <laughs> made a comment. I also didn't realize I was on a panel with former Twitter employees, but I made a comment about Twitter and I said, Mm -hmm. listen, there's maybe a lesson to be learned Mm -hmm. after that Elon takeover, how many people they let go and that the thing is still running just as efficiently as Mm -hmm. ever. Mm -hmm. And like, it's not to, you know, it's, it's not a people thing. It's like, maybe that company just was overstaffed by a couple hundred or thousand people. And like, it can operate the same without those people. Sure. I think the issue with where people will get upset about Twitter is just more how it was done. Sure. You know what sure, I mean? Of course. That's, I think that's the only issue. Yeah. I think really tech should be able to operate on its own. It should be something that's built to be streamlined with less employees. But yeah, because <laughs> the, the, the conversation was around like, 
what do you think of layoffs and the economy? And it's, to my That's point, the nature of like, business. I, if you don't have a side hustle, I don't know what you're doing. I have never relied on one check. Call that the African kid in me, you know, but it was always like if I mean, to this day, if I had to I, uh, someone asked me if you had to start, you probably get this question. If you had to start tomorrow, what would you do? oh, well, my business would never go under. I'm a consultant. As long as I can walk down Main Street and their business is open and I have sneakers on my feet, I can go into 10 businesses and I'll convert at least two before the end of the day, if not three. I am all about getting resourceful when it comes to cute ideas for my kids. I made like a pizza with Zaza the other night. I also have like little crafts ready to go. Anything, like we did like monster cookies. But one thing I've been doing with her that she absolutely loves are taking Pillsbury Crescent Rolls and making like our own recipe with them. So we take the Pillsbury Crescent Rolls and we'll make like a pepperoni pizza crescent roll. We've also done like a chicken bacon ranch crescent roll. Her favorite is ham and cheese. But lately, I've also been making like a crepe situation. So I'll do like a little bit of cinnamon, some strawberry jam. You could also add a little bit of syrup. And Zaza loves this. It's so interactive. It's fun. It's also nostalgic for me because Pillsbury is like I had that when I was a little girl. So to bring it through and like let Zaza have fun with it and make something out of it is so fun. She just loves to bake. And this is a great way to do something that's like for family time that's also artistic and creative. The other day, she told me that we were making memories, which is so cute. Weeknight recipes are as easy as fill, roll, bake. You can find Pillsbury in the dairy aisle. Dinner prep in 30 minutes or less? Find more weeknight dinner recipes at pillsbury.com. Weeknight recipes are as easy as fill, roll, bake. You can find Pillsbury in the dairy aisle. Dinner prep in 30 minutes or less? Find more weeknight dinner recipes at pillsbury.com. One brand that is in my day-to-day, every day, is Symbiotica. I cannot shut the fuck up about it, actually. I love all of their products. It's really hard to pick one. If I was going to start with three, I would start with the vitamin C, no-brainer. Their glutathione is incredible, especially if you're drinking alcohol. And then I really like this magnesium spray. It's like a lavender spray that you spray onto your body. And it sort of like seeps through your skin and relaxes you. Those are my three ride or die products, but they have everything. They have a vitamin B12 that I give my kids a squirt in their mouth every day. They have a vitamin D3 with K in it, which is incredible. You got to have K2 in your vitamin D if you're going to have it. And theirs is another one that you can squirt 12 little squirts in your mouth. And it's liposomal, so it goes right to your bloodstream. They also have like a plant protein that is absolutely incredible. It's a greens powder that's packed with essential vitamins, minerals, and whole food nutrients. I think it has like 20 grams of protein. It's just a brand that really cares about the formulation. Like everything is so sophisticated and vetted. I'm a fan of the brand, the owners, and the organic formulations. It's a 10 out of 10. I've used my own code so many times I can't even count. You can use code SKINNY at checkout for 15% off your first purchase. This is in addition to custom bundles, so you can get 45% off. Create your custom bundle at symbiotica.com and get 30% off. Brooke Burke, who is so major, came on the podcast and talked about her experience, her positive experience with intermittent fasting. We've also had a lot of people come on and just rave about it. I wanted to try a fast, but I didn't want to be overwhelmed. So I reached out to Prolon and they sent me their fast. I absolutely loved it. 
I did it before a Cabo trip. It was very streamlined, very easy, and very effective. So when I heard that they launched fasting shakes, I was immediately intrigued because you can use them while you're intermittent fasting. So you don't have to be like hungry or starving while you're fasting. You can use Prolon's fasting shakes to keep your body full, but in a fasted state without spiking your blood sugar. I personally find this whole subject so intriguing, and I think it's so cool that they've launched a fasting shake that's made with clean quality ingredients. So I checked it out. It's vegan, soy, gluten-free, non-GMO. It contains plant proteins, but also a prebiotic fiber. It also has 21 vitamins and minerals. And I just feel like if you're going to fast, why not have a fasting shake while you're fasting? So nourish your body without the hunger by ordering the Prolon Fasting Shake today. Right now, our him and her listeners can save 15% off your order when you go to prolonlife.com slash skinny. Use code skinny at checkout. That's 15% off prolon, L-O-N, life.com slash skinny with code skinny. Get started today at prolonglife.com slash skinny. How do you structure Mm-hmm. a company. We had someone on yesterday who was telling us she likes to start at the top. So she'll take her CEO and then she'll build underneath that. Is there a way that you structure sort of like a a hiring chart? So like an organizational chart? Yes. Well, I mean, it depends on the company, right? right? Because there's also different parameters for like nonprofit, things like that, like things need boards or whatever else. But what I always tell people is before you hire a CEO, what does it look like to have your executive advisory board? I think a lot of people forget that it's so important to know who's in your fold to help you build out that team. So for me, it's going around and saying, look, if I'm trying to build this thing and hire a team, odds are there's someone who's already done it. How can I find like three to five people that I know that I can go to as I'm doing this hiring process to vet check my decisions? So it's the team before the team. So it's like if I were saying, okay, I want to get into like I've never launched my own products. I've launched other products. If I was going to do my own branding, the idea that I would know Michael and not go to Michael or Wes and say, hey, I'm thinking about doing this. I don't want you to work, do the work because most advisors don't want to do the work. They're happy to give you a text and say yes or no or look at something for you. But they're not coming to do your business too, you know, like they'd rather cut a check or support you. So I'd be like, Wes, would you mind if I hit you up with one or two questions as I'm vetting when through the process? When did you and Wes meet? Where was I? I love that you're both staring at me. <laughs> Right I'm now. like, what? So we were, he was here in the office oh, when you were going to, to the dentist. You talked to him. Yeah, and okay. he was just here um, sure, sitting sure. on the thing. And I was like, ah, oh. I was like, you're Wes, aren't I'm you? just surprised because Wes is a little shy at first. So I'm surprised. Oh, he was super nice. He was like super he was chatty. Super, Yeah, he was super chatty. I was Whoa, like, oh, wow, Wes. hello. Yeah, <laughs> he was super chatty, but he was super nice. So I asked him, I was like, do you only, because this is also business brain, Do you, are you exclusive to these business, to these products? Or are, do you any, do any consulting or outsource? He's like, no, I mostly do just these. And then I was like, okay. I was like, well, what about houses? Do you do other houses? <laughs> and he was like, no, I really don't do other houses. And I was like, okay. I was like, well, if I send you some sketches, you know, don't be weird. You know, he, you should send him some sketches. No, but I think, so I think he's being, I think, bashful, a little yeah, shy. Like sure. Yeah, he probably would oh, do bashful sure. Wes. Bashful. If he was bashful one of the seven Wes. dwarves, he'd be bashful. It was so funny, but then I was like, I also like your toys. Bye. No. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what a way to break the ice. He was like, thank you. Okay, bye. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, I think all of this is, you know, it's relevant because what you're what we're mostly talking about here is resourcefulness mm-hmm. and not doing things the hardest way possible sure. and realizing that there's opportunity For no sure. matter what circumstances you come from and i think but that's so, also ego breakdowns, right? Yes. Like, you know, it's people's ego. People are like, I have to know all the answers and I can't say I don't know and mm-hmm. I don't want to ask for help. And we all have some level of that, you know, like 
When I started this business, there's my former partner, Raina, who's no longer in the business. She was fully in the talent world mm-hmm. and she was fully, you know, managing all sorts of talent like we work with here. And I was like, listen, I don't know shit about mm-hmm. managing talent. I don't want to like know how to, I, I didn't know. Mm-hmm. I was like, this is going to be a nightmare. So like, that's how that relationship started. It was like going to her and be like, hey, I know For this sure. podcast side and I know this commerce side, but this whole other world. Mm-hmm. And if it wasn't, and I say this to her all the time, if it wasn't for her being part of it in the beginning, it would have been a nightmare. Because sure. like, there was just like, there's so much nuance and cadence. Even with the people? way that, yeah. No, and like the way that I communicate with people like yourself or their manager, or their agents, like that was not my world. Are you saying you're not nice? No, I, I'm nice. It's giving that you're saying you're I, not nice. Not, <laughs> you're like, I, the way that I communicate because the people. Would, I would never describe <laughs> it as nice. That's my, the literal last. I nice. just love the, aware, the self-awareness. You're like, look, the way that I communicate with people, someone else should do it. The, no, <laughs> the, thank, and yes, thank God Paige is in the business. But my Paige first is awesome. instinct when an agent or a manager is giving me a headache, again, because I don't come from this yeah, world, I don't have like, time oh, for this. fuck the deal. Yeah, I right. I don't have time for this. Exactly. And Raina and Paige are like, wait a minute. You're like in a business now where you right. have to like. Like do a little of the dance. You know, yeah. it's part of Michael, it. Yeah. It's like, I why? I have questions for Nicole. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> no, we can literally talk all day. I I'm like, know, now we have time. Let's just get to I it. I have to ask you the juicy questions. Oh, gosh. Here we go. pounds. Yes. You've lost. Yes. And I've like lost. So I always try to tell people it's before, after, before, after, right? In different seasons. So during the pandemic, I was like, oh, no, fudge is my friend. Don't bother me. Fudge. Oh, fudge. I love fudge. I love popcorn. What kind of fudge? Like I actually is had a it. brand. Oh, so I'm like a foodie foodie. That's the problem is like once you get money, you can get whatever you want. I was having bread shipped from France during the <laughs> pandemic. Well, you got to send me the link for that. I will send you the link. They no, do. They ship we'll daily. Order, we'll get it. It's no, so good. I have my one piece of sourdough and bread. Yeah, bed it's every night. They would send me like a whole sour, a whole sourdough loaf overnight. Oh, you gotta you gotta send me the link for that. Yeah, you I were getting special French baguettes I overnight was. delivery. Absolutely, during the My, pandemic. I was. One, yes. You got and butter and jam. One piece. It's very it's excessive, <laughs> and there was the no good reason. From? I want some. Fudge. So the fudge is actually from this really small. I don't know. Fudgery. <laughs> I don't even know what they're called. Um, in uh, not Scottsdale, Red Rock, Arizona. Where's the other place where everyone goes? What's it called? Sonoma. It was there. It's like, I found beautiful. them. It's beautiful. I found them on, like, Main Street. And I was like, you guys are amazing. This is some of the best fudge I've ever had. I grew, I went to boarding school in Hershey, Pennsylvania. I was like, the best fudge I've had since living in Hershey. And they were like, thanks. Our grandma makes it. Literally brought their grandma out from the back. I was like, oh, my gosh. You're amazing. You got to send me the fudge place, Oh, too. I will. And so she started shipping it. And then they were like, hey, we can't keep up with orders. You know, So don't do the thing you do where you tell everyone and then was, you break know the business. I want to know what the fudge is. <laughs> you, told, you, told, you shared the fudge and I everyone shared got the fudge. Because it was also pay Pandemic, you know, like I'll post the fudge if you tell oh, me where they're amazing. I will, I will send you the fudge okay. details. I want some fudge. I want some French roll. Yes. Okay, so a hundred <laughs> pounds of weight loss. Mm-hmm. How do you decide you want to lose weight? How do you start? What if someone is sitting here listening who wants to lose 100 to 50 pounds? Where do, where do they even begin? It's overwhelming. Yeah. So I love this question in particular because people are always like, how did you do it? And it's like, listen, it is literally, we were just going back to what we talked about in the beginning. It is irresponsible for me to sit here and tell you how you're supposed to lose weight because I have a platform. And if I say, oh, well, the way I did it was I had, you know, three teaspoons of chia seeds, you know, 15 shots of coconut water and I smeared Vaseline on my forehead every day. Now everyone's doing that and then they're dying and they're like, why? You know what I mean? So it's like, I'm not going to say that. 
But what I will tell you is the first thing you need to do if you want to lose weight is see your damn doctor. The idea that people think that they are an expert at doing the thing that has been their biggest struggle is crazy. If you want to write a book, you get a book coach. If you want to build a business, you get a business consultant. You want to, you know, get a divorce, you talk to a lawyer. If you've been struggling your whole life with weight loss and trying to do it yourself your whole life, maybe you're not the best person to guide you in that process. See a doctor and build out your team. So again, caveat, I'm not, the money privilege is not lost on me. I had the financial ability to do, you know, this and explore all my options. But if you look at insurance, I worked for insurance for for years. There's a lot of coverage there as well. If you see your doctor, my doctor was like, look, let's just start with your numbers. My numbers, blood work, blood work. Mm -hmm. I mean, everything, blood work, weight, like just my caloric intake every day. I just didn't know. And I think I was telling you about this, like with my girls growing up with African parents, I just didn't know what like vegetables look like. And I know that sounds crazy, but like they made lots of stews and sauces and things like that. Like I wasn't necessarily eating salads every day or the way American style food is. So I wonder if my dad's African. He might be. Does he eat lots of stews? (laughs) I don't think think he's ever seen a vegetable in his life, that guy. (laughs) He's like, meat and potatoes. That's it. He might be. I don't know. That's going to be the headline. Michael Bostic says he's African. Michael Bostic says he's African. Oh my gosh. Go get to tan for five minutes. Says he's African. (laughs) Come back from vacation. Nicole Walters co-signs. Well, actually, he's my cousin. (laughs) Nicole Walters shipping fudge during the pandemic from France. (laughs) That's it. Literally. I mean, that's how it goes, right? But it's like, yeah, no. And so I saw my doctor and my doctor was like, yeah, you know, your blood work came back. You're pre-diabetic. You know, you are, again, not going to live till you're 60. Your blood pressure's through the roof. Like, everything is a mess. So I'm telling you that you, we need to consider serious intervention because this is as serious as, like, you know, any other health issue. So it's like, first thing I want you to do is go to a nutritionist and learn food. Just learn food. Like, you know, this is a artichoke and here's how you cook it, you know? And I was like, I just didn't realize what I didn't know. I didn't understand how calories worked. Like, not even that calorie counting is the only way, but I didn't know, you know? So it's like, I didn't know what a carb was. So you could eat a full meal and have no idea. I had no idea what I was eating. I didn't understand portions. I mean, being African, a portion of rice is half the plate. But that made sense when you are walking where you're going most of the time, when you're eating fresh diets that are completely organic. In in Ghana, my parents live in Ghana six months of the year. My mom does. Our food is literally, we get it every single day. So you go to the market, you get your tomatoes. Like people don't even have to refrigerate. Yeah, it's totally clean. Like those tomatoes were picked that morning. They were sold at the market that morning. And then you walked into your house and you made a stew right then. So it's like... Just the idea. No preservatives, nothing, you know? So it's one of those things where I was like, oh, the way I was growing up and eating in my house, you know, and I was born in D.C., but my mom shopped. She went to the butcher every day to get her food, you know? So the way I was eating there, now that I'm on my own as like an, an American, you know, I can't just go to McDonald's and just get like, like a taco is one that's like one serving, you know? And I'm like, oh, but I ate two. Like I used to go to Wendy's and get like, a burger, fries, nuggets, and a soda, and I would get it from whatever side. Nuggets were a side item. They weren't like a separate meal. Like I just, it just never occurred to me. Or like eating chicken, I would get like three pieces of chicken, but like a drumstick is one serving. It's just so like simple things like that, or like a serving of rice is Which a is half a cup of rice. And you're training your body at that point to like, that's a normal. Yeah, sub- that's just normal. Yeah. I just didn't know. So like once I actually started putting food on my plate where I could visually see what it's supposed to be. And then I would eat and then I would wait 20 minutes and I'd be like, oh, I'm actually full. I started understanding I didn't need to eat anywhere near as much as I was eating. It's before. almost like you started running your eating like your business. Yeah, well, it's also like for I know, sure. I, I, I talked to an expert and then I got the information I needed and then I started beta testing it to see how it worked. And then I tweaked it accordingly to get better results. 
Yeah. Did you add any kind of exercise to this equation? Yep. So one of the things I will say is food has always been my focus and food in not a weird way. I eat everything. I eat donuts. Like during the pandemic, I literally was like, oh, I'm going to get fat because I'm going to have comfort cheese. I'm not going to sit here and tell myself I can't have that. Mm, we are in a pandemic. Cheese. Yeah, comfort cheese. I like cheese. I'm going to eat it. <laughs> like it's just like that, you know. But it was one of those things where it was like, oh, you know, now that I know, though, it's conscious. So I gained 22 pounds in the pandemic and I took it off right after because I knew what I needed to do. Like, you can't eat three pieces of cheese, you know, in one sitting. And three, by three pieces, I mean wheels. You know, because, <laughs> like, you know the, the portion size has changed. It was a pandemic. You know what I mean? But when you were saying like, pieces in the beginning, I was like, can't Everything that's annoying, I blame the pandemic. It's literally the truth. It's like, literally, I took Brie in a spoon. You know what I mean? I was just kind of like, I don't want to be bothered right now, you I'll know? I'll bite into Brie. Don't right, care. literally. So it's like, that was what I was doing. But I also knew, like, okay, you can still have Brie. Just don't eat all of it, you know? So once I had that knowledge... At least then I was making conscious choices. And like my book is really all about that. My keynote is all about that. Everything I talk about is about choices. And the fact that one of the biggest lies society will tell you, a narcissist will tell you, that friend who's a hater is going to tell you, the internet will tell you, is that you lack choices. And if you take that empowerment back and you're able to say to yourself, no, in this moment, I know I have choices. Even choosing to not do something is a choice you will always have. So once I was aware of that, I realized like with my weight, I can choose. If I want to eat this donut, I'm going to eat this donut, you know, because I'm choosing that. But I know what the byproduct is. And I'll move my body. By I the way, that also works. So I think a lot of people, when we touch on this mm -hmm. with personal finance, struggle mm -hmm. and they make money, but they don't know what to do with it because it's also a lack of understanding of yep. what to do, where to place, how to save, how yep. to invest. Yep. And so what they do is they just, it's like the same with your diet. If you don't know what you're eating and you don't know what you're buying, you don't know what your portions are, mm -hmm. and you don't know your caloric intake, then like yep. you're going to either overeat or undereat. Or by eat default. Yes, by you default. You just don't even know. And if you have money coming into your business and you don't know where to invest and how to save mm -hmm. and all these things, you are going to lose money over time or 100%. overspend, right? It's or the same if thing. you're too scared and you just leave it in your bank account, that's just as bad. Yep. You know, I've been in situations where, you know, I found out after the fact that I had a million dollars saving an account that I thought was being invested that cost me a lot of money just by doing nothing. With the inflation. You know, yes. yeah, it just cost me nothing, you know. So it's just one of those things where I think sometimes we forget how empowered we are with our own choices. And that was a thing with weight loss where I was just like, I just need to get informed. Because once I know, I can kind of, you know, your body's a machine. You can tweak it accordingly. So right now I'm in summer soft season and I love it, you know, where I'm like a little bit softer because I want to have wine night with my friends and I'm taking a little more vacations and I'm recovering from healing, but I'm not getting out of hand either. My clothing still fits comfortably. It's not too tight. I'm not even on a scale. So I don't know if it's six pounds or 16, doesn't matter. I still fit in my clothes and I feel comfortable and I like the way I look, but I also know if I start feeling a little slow, you know, or if I can't keep up with Allie while we're playing, you know, or if I start feeling tired or sluggish that I need to adjust something and it starts with my food. Well, the things that stress us the most are typically the things we shy away from the mm -hmm. most. Like I'm stressed about money. I'm not going to look at my I'm not going to look at it. Yep. I'm not going to look at my credit. Oh, I'm stressed about my mm -hmm. weight. I'm not going to look at the scale. Mm -hmm. And what happens is like, as soon as you start looking at it and understanding. So for example, like if people come and say, Hey, how do you pack on muscle? Like it's actually not that hard. Right. It's a recipe. It's Everything's a, recipe. a formula. Yep. It's a formula. It's mm -hmm. like you do this type of stuff in the gym. You do these kind of reps with this Rinse kind of weight. Repeat. You eat this kind of protein <laughs> right. and you do it consistently over. Yeah. Like you want to lose weight, same thing. You mm -hmm. eat this kind of way. You mm -hmm. do these kind of exercises. There's no trick. People yeah. always want to hack. That's the worst part about being like, you know, having a social presence. People saw me like lose weight and they literally were like, oh, that's why she left her husband. She lost weight. She got too good for him. All this. And I was like, no, when I lost weight, he lost weight. People, you know, like it's a formula. When like, something happens, 
<laughs> good. I've realized with social media, people want to say, oh, that's because of this. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Well, the thing that I've started saying to people is when they're like, you got too good for this because this thing changed your life. I start asking them, well, then what is good enough for me then? If you know that I've gotten, if I think I'm too good for that marriage, that job, that business, that relationship, whatever else, then please tell me what is good enough for me. Please set the parameter of what you think I deserve. Because it really does level set people and and make them check sort of what they're, what, so are you telling me that this is the right partner for me or this is all I can have? Because I'm not going to be limited to what makes you comfortable. Right. You're not. And also they're projecting their own insecurities 100%. onto you. 100%. So even when it comes to my health, like I lost weight because if I didn't, I would die. And I had just adopted three babies. It happened after I got my girls. I suddenly was like, how selfish of me, you know? And I say this again, not to put project or make anyone feel bad about the body they're in because I loved my body the entire time. Part of why I didn't lose weight before was because I thought I still looked good. It wasn't a cosmetic thing. It was like, I wanted to be able to say I can stay alive and keep up with these children, you oh, know? But your blood pressure gets that high. Blood it's pressure a scary said, thing. Yeah, I just don't want to die because I need to take care of these babies, you know? But I, I like the way I look, you know? And I still wore bikinis. I still went out. I didn't care if I was 300 pounds or 200 pounds or 150. It doesn't matter. But I will say that it was the type of thing where I looked at myself and I said, look, I want to make changes so I can just be around. And my doctor looked at me and said, you're not healthy. You you are having, people can be a, way more weight than I was and not have blood pressure issues. My doctor was like, your heart will fail. By the way, I think everyone <laughs> you know? should get their levels to see. I think everyone regularly. should get their heart looked at regularly. Regularly, yeah. you know? That's Even it. if you're happy with your body, like you should see Do it anyways. Levels, you yes. should know your numbers. Like we're, we're all, like we're too old for that. You know what yep. I mean? We're seasoned chicken, not spring chickens. <laughs> I want you to tell us about your hot new man and your new book. You got Nothing is Missing. It's a memoir of living boldly by Nicole Walters available on Amazon. Go buy it. Go support. And tell us like about this chapter with this hot new man. You're yes. engaged. Yes, 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 yes. Tell us all the things where you met him. It's crazy because again, I think I mentioned to you the first book was a business book. And coming out of this chat, I burst into tears because I knew that I needed to tell something different. I wasn't sure how, but I knew that this book could be the start of a beautiful beginning. And I knew I was going to fall for divorce and I knew that this was all going to, you know, be next. So I, you know, left this podcast and I called my agent and I said, I'm going to write a different proposal. And I threw away the other one I'd been working on for two and a half years. And I wrote this one. And it ended up becoming one of the uh, top deals, book deals in 2021. Congratulations. Thank you. You know, and I had competing offers for it and it was bought out in a preempt by the largest publisher in the world. And also it's one of it's the biggest one of the biggest book deals. deals. Yeah. In 2021. Yeah. Like just under a Supreme Court justice. So Michael, like huge, huge, yeah, huge deal. Really excited. on you. Yeah. I know. Right. Dinner's <laughs> on me. Ding, ding. So but that said, you know, it just was such an affirmation of what I was writing because it's scary. I think anyone, you know, you can go from being for instance, you know, the two of you went from being sponsored to being sponsors, you know, and that is a different leap, you know, going from being, oh, people come to me for business to I'm going to tell you everything about how I got here, everything that went wrong and be very transparent in full color about what you've read in black and white. And needless to say, I'm terrified that this book is in the world because I, I don't know what's going to happen. But what I do know is I'm still better for it. 
And this book is going to hopefully make people better, too. Anyone who's read it says it's unputdownable and that it has been transformational. So I'm really grateful because I'm not just sitting here telling you what I went through. I'm also putting in the lessons. And, you know, you can read it with a highlighter. So You got to sign copies for us before you go. Oh, no. So you can put them on eBay and cash out. Never. Yeah. Are you kidding me? So no, this one's going on the shelf. To Alex. Oh, yeah. This one, this one is Alex's copy. I want this one. But, yes, about Alex. All that said, after I wrote this book, I don't know, it was cathartic, right? I think anyone who writes a book knows how hard it is, you know? And after I wrote this book, I decided to put myself out there, you know, and I went on Bumble online and I started dating again. And it was crazy because I wasn't, I didn't know what I was looking for, but I'd done so much therapeutic work that I was open and I met this great guy. He is a producer and a sync licensor, you know, out here. He also plays trombone, you know, professionally. He's also very cute. He's super, Does he super play attractive. smooth jazz on the what trombone? He does. Hold on, hold oh, on. It I know, right? Sponsor, Excuse sponsor. me. <laughs> does he play smooth jazz on the trombone when you wake up? I would make him oh, have my a gosh. vibe. Okay, I'd like you to play the trombone. <laughs> so sentences women have never said, I, ever. <laughs> you could do anything, clearly. <laughs> Yeah, that that, would, I would like you to learn the trombone. That would be a pivot. It would be a pivot. It would be a pivot. Does yeah. he actually like play like whatever yeah, he's you want? actually really good. Like he, you know, does recording sessions like Megan Trainer and like Jill Scott. Like he oh, like so he, yeah, goes okay. on tour. Like he went to Berkeley School of Music. So he's like train trained. But so he's not some guy sitting in a band. Yeah, he's not, he's not he's not he's not some musician in LA, you know. Like, <laughs> you know make sure you got the best of call. Yeah, good looking Kim out. Kardashian <laughs> has someone playing the piano during Christmas in her house. So he's also a classic pianist. So he's played piano for almost 30 years. So I would but love to have that yeah, in my house when I w- woke up. Like, I would love to have someone playing. Like, if it is I, I, was, I mean, we live together and everything, and he says... I haven't played the trombone Well, in the he morning. says it. I mean, well, trombone in the morning can get old very quick. <laughs> He's very good, but it can get old very quick. <laughs> but, you know, like, I'll be making dinner, and he'll just play piano. piano and can't like, get old. It can't, doesn't get old. It's yeah. beautiful. And he'll, like, write songs, or because he is trained classically, he'll hear something, and he'll say, oh, I could turn this into something. And he'll sit there, and it'll be, like, Sinatra in five minutes. It's really special, Stop very romantic. Stop giving this guy compliments. It's making my wife ah, think, he's incredible. Think, think I'm less he's than incredible. You are good with your fingers. Apply it to the piano. Always gotta go. But this is—I mean, I'm telling you, this is why she's a winner. (laughs) No, he's—he's amazing, and I'm very fortunate. And he's great with the babies. The—the girls absolutely love him. He jumped right in there. They call him like stepdad of the year. You know, Father's Day was so special. We're excited to start our family. We've been engaged now. We've been together for years. So, well, I am excited. personally very happy for you. I hope you don't leave Thank this time you. crying. No, I this time we're so happy. Be a good one. It you is guys, a good one. Her book, Nothing Is Missing, on Amazon. I am going to post it. I am just so excited for you. I think that this is the perfect. I, I see a lot of other books. Mm-hmm. This is the perfect kickoff. Yes. Do you know what I yes, mean? It is. Yeah. I mean, just like people always, uh, a lot of people compared it to like Glennon Doyle, you know, that like, I haven't written The Untamed yet, but I do want to let you know that this is the first one. Uh, the story of everything that's happened since in California is quite the doozy as well. So working on that one now, but you won't understand that one if you don't understand this. Pimp your podcast out. Where can they find you on Instagram? You can find me on the Nicole Walters podcast 
hosted by Dear Media. Oh, damn right, Nicole. <laughs> <laughs> and anywhere you see Nicole Walters on Instagram, uh, not on Twitter, and everywhere else. <laughs> we got to do this more often. I can't believe it's been two years. I feel like we could talk to you like forever. Oh, literally. I the mean, you guys are so generous. The next time you come on, mm-hmm. we will just make it about business and finance. We can if you want to. I yeah. mean, who knows? By then I'll be like, oh my gosh, let me tell you about the shark attack I was in. So, I know. Like, literally, we don't Fuck. even know. It'll be, or I'll be talking about my baby. Yes. Hopefully we talk yes. about my baby yes. and yes. motherhood and yes. all that. So we'll see. We'll see how you balance. I don't it all. think we could contain yeah. a conversation. It's just going to go. Where It'll it's go where go. it goes. Yeah, right, but well, it's nice because you guys always get the best out of me. I I love having you come back anytime, Nicole Walter. Thank, Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Wait, don't go. Do you want to win a copy of Nicole's book? All you have to do is tell us your favorite takeaway of this episode on my latest post at Lauren Bostick. Make sure you guys also go back and listen to part one with Nicole. Her story is wild. I think you'll really love it. 